I guess uh, we could kick this monkey. Let's <laughs> kick the monkey. We we could shock the pig. <laughs> shock the pig. <laughs> yes. Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly. Their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. And welcome to Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Ooh. It is like it. it is super exciting, isn't it? Paul? I'm 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 freaking excited. Are you? You seem freaking excited. What's got I you so excited, Paul? Well, there's a lot of news this week. You know, last week when we when we recorded, we're like, yeah, there's no news. Nothing yeah. to talk about. Let's just talk about this stupid episode and let's throw some more villain here. <laughs> Well, That's how the, you know we're padding when we've got some Orville. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I and, and speaking of padding, uh-huh. you know, you, you might have seen might have seen my comment on Instagram, but I uh, rewatched Logan's Run over the weekend. You know, I, I noticed that it was uh-huh. on Netflix. Have you ever seen it? Oh yeah. You know, there's that uh, there's that scene uh, where he where Logan is in his apartment and he. Fires up the circuit, which is essentially a transporter box. See, I'm making it Star Trek relevant. That ah. beams potential sex partners to your to your living room, and he just kind of swipes left or right depending on what he wants. And so, like the first thing that rolls up there is mail. And I have to assume that the reason why it rolled up a mail is not because it's just any old person who steps into the circuit. No, no, I think it was going off of previous choices. Yeah, yeah, I think like your, that, your history. Yeah, that's right. You know that that, that you know the circuit uses cookies, and uh, <laughs> it, it knows all about what Logan has dialed up in the past. I mean, I do think that you know if we'd gone to a third choice, because you know he went first choice, eh, two male. Second choice, he got Jessica, and you know that was great, and so he opted for Jessica. But I think if it had gone to a third choice, it would have been like farm animals. Yeah, that's my thought. I mean, I don't know what this has to do with Star Trek, Aaron. Well, but it was a little transporter booth, right? You know, that's how it has to do with Star Trek. And we're padding the show, Paul. We don't need to pad the show, show. Aaron. We don't. There's so much news. That is true. And, you know, one piece of news is I got a new toy this week. Oh. Yeah. You know, um, McFarlane Toys took over the toy creation for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I picked up the Captain James T. Kirk figure from the original series. And I was really excited about this figure, Paul, because it came with the phaser rifle that he uses in Where No Man Gone's before, has gone before. You know, the phaser rifle that he used to gun down his best friend, Gary Mitchell. Yeah, that <laughs> phaser rifle. F. Gary Mitchell. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um, silver-eyed weirdo. But... Uh, <laughs> But it is a really very pretty figure. But Paul, uh-huh. I hate it. What? The uh, number one, there's not. While there are several points of articulation on the figure, 
uh, there's very few, ra- very little range in motion. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you get hands that will turn, but they won't, they won't bend at the wrist. They just turn at the wrist. Um, you've got, you know, the elbow joint and then the, the joint at the shoulder, but it allows very little movement up and down. You can't move out. Uh, so the posability of the figure is extremely limited. So that's irritating. It's more of a statue, right? You know, something that you're going to pose uh, and yeah. very little range of posing. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I super dislike about it is that the whole reason I bought this thing, uh, the reason that I preferenced it over the Picard figure is that I wanted that phaser rifle. Okay. And, you know, the, the phaser rifle has a really narrow barrel. And there's just a slight bend to the barrel. I'm not even sure anybody else would notice it, but I noticed the hell out of it. And it's making my brain itch. It irritates me so much. <laughs> and then what I think would be noticeable to anybody is that the, there, there's really two pieces to the phaser rifle and the centerpiece, which, uh, you know, uh, would be like the, I don't know, the magnification chamber for, for the phaser energy. Um, is a separate piece that will come right off, even though it didn't do that in the TV show. And it's cracked. It came out of the box cracked. Oh, and, well, perhaps you should send it back and get another. Yeah, I'm going to. I just, I, but boy, it just super annoys me that, uh, you know, it just wasn't pristine out of the box. Yeah, that's a bummer. And, you know, you'd ne- I, I suspect a lot of people don't open them up. And you'd never know that your figure is busted, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's what, and, and I think that's kind of what they bank on, on some of this low quality stuff. Cause while this may be my first McFarlane toy, uh, it is not my first Star Trek toy. And that is commonplace on the Diamond Select stuff. The, the quality control is super low on the Diamond Select stuff. Even though their stuff is beautifully designed, the quality in the manufacturer is not great. Hmm. So anyway, I was, I was really disappointed in this figure. I I was looking forward to them. You know, the posability isn't a, a, as big an issue for me because ultimately, like, that's McFarlane toys for you. Right. But, uh, yeah, the fact that, that, they, that it is also poorly made on top of that is a bummer. I will say that the Kirk figure himself is awfully pretty. You know, I love the <laughs> the matte finish to the uh, to his trousers and the very glossy finish to his boots. And then there is a nice bit of texturing on the uh, uniform tunic. It looks really good. It looks really good. I, and, I mean, I could get past the, uh, the absence of, of posability, but the, the poor craftsmanship on the phaser rifle really bugs me. Yeah, understandable. I mean, considering how long those toys took to come out. And, yeah. And it's not like they're cheap. I don't know how much you paid, but I'm assuming they're probably like 20 25 bucks. It's 20 bucks. yeah. Yeah, 20 bucks. Yeah. So anyway, I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna swap him out because that irritates me. You're gonna swipe left. I'm gonna swipe left. <laughs> maybe get, maybe maybe get me some Starfleet goat action going on. There you go. <laughs> and that's how it all ties together, people. Uh, well, in 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 news that came out literally, I think the day after our the last episode we recorded uh, that we actually didn't talk about in our outline, Aaron, is that. Star Trek Discovery was renewed for a third season. Third year. Boom, yeah. big three. Yeah. Woo. We, we, uh, we recorded our last episode, like, I think the day before the news was announced that season three was coming. And, and, and did, uh, you see, did you see that also they're on their fifth showrunner now? Yeah. 
Well, they haven't even finished season two, and they're on their fifth showrunner. Yeah, yeah. But that shouldn't they, distress anybody. <laughs> but they 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 brought in someone who's currently working on season two. Um, yes. You know, and we and we'll talk more about this most recent episode. But in general, we we have genuine we have liked season two quite a bit. Um, CBS All Access has said it has exceeded expectations um, in subscriber growth and uh, generating a phenomenal response from Star Trek fans. So they have renewed for season three. Very exciting. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were were concerned that it would this would be the last episode, the, the last season, obviously, based on rumors. We said that wasn't true. Uh, but on top of that, you know, there was also. You know, what's going to happen with this Section 31 show? It was hinted that that might be a replacement or blah, 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 blah. Well, nope. Looks like Discovery is coming back for another year. Yeah. Well, and, you know, so we've got five showrunners, right? Because you had Brian Fuller. And then then he left for reasons, right? And then you had the other two. Uh, I forget who they what their names are. But, but they were released for cause, right? Because they, yeah. they were running a rather hostile room. Um, and then you've got uh, Alex Kurtzman, who's been the showrunner and who's going to stay on. But I gather that uh, with the addition of the Picard show and with uh, the Section 31 show and Lower Decks, and yeah, the two different animated shows, because you've got a Lower Deck show and then you've got the Nickelodeon show. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, that's that's five different Star Trek properties that Alex Kurtzman's over the whole the whole dang thing, and so I absolutely get why he's bringing somebody else into the room. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he he is turning into the Kevin Feige yeah. of uh, of the Star Trek universe. It does uh, remind me very much, though, not in terms of quality, but in terms of management experience. Uh, what happened in the first several seasons of Next Generation? Because Next yeah. Generation was apparently a zoo in the writers' room. You know, uh, there's a whole documentary on it called Battle on the Bridge, I think, uh, about you know, all the all the different production issues they were having and, and how there just wasn't any real leadership. Um, so it does kind of remind me of that a little bit. Well, I think some of that stuff happens with high expectations, um, lots of pressure um, and an idea without a fully formed plan. Yeah. Right. And I think that, that, that a lot of that happens with, with some of these things. And I think that's what we saw with, with Star Trek discovery. I think that's what we saw with next generation. And hopefully that's not what we see with Picard because they've really been working on that for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, getting that, that ready and, and a couple of big new do- news items related to Picard. One, um, is that, uh, you know, th- there is a, a hint uh, that the the show will actually be titled Star Trek uh, Destiny. I don't think so. I bet that's a working title. I think it's a working title, but it's yeah. it's better than Star Trek Picard. I don't know. I kind of like. Uh, <laughs> I kind of. I I think that if your goal is to bring in the next generation fans, you know, who mm-hmm. sat out on Star Trek Discovery, I think you lean right into that and call it Star Trek Picard. Yeah, maybe you know, or just. Picard, but I, th- I really do think you've got to have the Star Trek colon in there. Yeah. Right? I mean, because I think that was the issue with Enterprise, is folks didn't really know what the hell that was. Yeah. Star Trek, is it, it not Star either. Trek? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think Star Trek Picard is, is, is a decent title if your goal is to get the next generation folks. Agreed. I mean, it'll, it'll certainly draw it. People know the name, right? Yeah. It's an iconic name. So, you know, they keep, they keep talking about how. The new show featuring Jean-Luc Picard 
is set after the destruction of Romulus that has apparently affected him a great deal. I feel like beyond the fact, because apparently he, he, in the little bitty, little bit of information that we've heard, he's out of Starfleet, right? Yes. And I, I don't know that, that we can consider the Star Trek comic book canon. Right. That, that well, it's written the, by Alex Kurtzman. So yeah, I so think I, they are. I mean, they are genuinely. I mean, it has been announced, not rumored, that it takes place after the destruction of Romulus. Right, right. I just can't help but wonder. Maybe there was someone that he had a personal relationship on the planet. You know, was there? Did he have a a girlfriend, a spouse down there? I wonder if there's something else that's affecting uh, that situation, or it could just be it happened on my watch. Yeah. And I'm not in Starfleet anymore, damn it. I left my badge on the coffee table. It's a <laughs> universal signal that you've resigned from Starfleet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shooting for it begins on April 14th. It um, doesn't seem like there's enough time to get this out by September. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the production is a shorter production run. Uh, it's only um, ten, it's going to be in production for five and a half months. Um, planned wrap on October 1st. Uh, so it will be continuing to film when that first episode comes out. And it looks I, like it's 10 episodes only, too. Yeah, 10 episodes only. I I would be very surprised if it comes out on time. Yeah, you know, it, that seems like a, a very short amount of time. But in theory, um, you know, if they – a lot of shows do that. You know, they run on, on basically like a, a six to ten week lag. So it could happen, but this – with the production values, I'd be surprised, but maybe, I don't know if that discovery is not running on a similar, you know, time frame. You know, it's not like they were filming discovery that long ago either. I don't know. I know. It just seems like they need more time, uh, you know, to make sure that they've got it looking right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, discovery has, has the benefit now that, you know, it's had some episodes under its belt and they know they're a well-oiled machine and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe the Picard show will be the same thing. Maybe the Picard show will, you know, use a lot of the same people because you wouldn't think they'd be working on both shows at the same time. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. know. Well, you know, they also announced a couple of directors for the Picard show. Um, the first two episodes will be directed by Hanel Culpepper. She um, has directed a couple of episodes of Star Trek Discovery, including season one's Vaulting Ambition, and is going to be directing the 10th episode of season two, Red Angel. Um, She is the first female director to ever direct a Star Trek pilot episode. Um, And in addition to that, uh, Jonathan Frakes will also be directing episodes of the Picard series. That hasn't been announced which episodes, though. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. And we got news on um, his first two co-stars in that show this week. Yeah. Uh, featuring uh, two people that I could not pick out in a crowd. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, two new cast members were announced, actually, uh, pretty much the uh, the day we recorded this. Um, it looks like... Santiago Cabrera. <laughs> yes. Sorry, and Michelle Hurd. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you, Paul. Yeah, Santiago Cabrera and Michelle Hurd. I think I've seen Michelle Hurd in something. I don't know that I've ever seen Santiago Cabrera. Well, Santiago Cabrera was in Big Little Lies, um, the Alex Kurtzman CBS series Salvation, the BBC series The Musketeers, and has also been in Steven Soderbergh's Che and Michael Bay's Transformers The Last Night, whereas Michelle Hurd 
I'm sorry? I've seen none of those. <laughs> well, maybe you've seen Michelle Hurd on Ash vs. Evil Dead, Daredevil, or Jessica Jones. Um, probably best known for playing Detective Monique Jeffries during the first two seasons of Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Who was she in Daredevil? I don't know. I guess the same character she was in Jessica Jones. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> she looks vaguely familiar. And she's got a she's got a rather uh, you know uh, striking uh, uh, appearance. Yeah. So I feel like I've seen her in something. I just feel like I need to see her in costume to be able to say, "Oh yeah, that's who she was." But I know I've not seen this Cabrera fellow before. No, his name rings a bell, and you know I'm sure I have seen. Uh, you know, I, I've seen Transformers the last night, but again, I probably couldn't pick the guy out of a crowd. But there are uh, Deadline has some unconfirmed details as to who these char- who these actors will be playing. Uh, Cabrera could possibly play the pilot of Picard's ship, who also is a skillful thief, and Michelle Hurd is playing a former intelligence officer who is a brilliant analyst with a terrific memory that has not been affected by her drug and alcohol abuse. No, fake news! It's from Deadline. Oh, then it would have to be true. Yeah. yeah. Deadline doesn't just put shit out there. No, no, they wouldn't do that. You know why? Because that would be wrong. That would be wrong. Anyway, I I gotta tell you, I, despite the fact that I don't know who either of these actors are, I'm still very excited. Yeah, I gotta that. say, no, Aaron, I'm disappointed. How so? How do you announce two people that we don't know? Like, <laughs> and I know that's not the point, right? Like, the whole point isn't getting the band back together. It's the Picard show. It's not like the Next Generation reunion. Right. But damn it, I was hoping like. You know, hey, Gates McFadden is joining the show. Are you, you wanting know? something like a, a very Riker Christmas? Yes. <laughs> like, you know, like what about, um, you know, like I said, Gates McFadden or Marina Sirtis. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, perhaps like go with a wild card like, you know, Michael Dorn or, you know, I don't know. Somebody, somebody I know. Yeah. You but, never know. That can happen. They might be saving that some of that stuff up for. I don't know. If, if they're shooting in April, they can't save it for Las Vegas, right? Because no. it'll get out. Yeah. But, but uh, in fact, I would hope that at Las Vegas they'd have some uh, some film. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Well, but, yes. I am, I am re- regardless of the uh, the casting announcement that, you know, I'm not familiar with the actors. I am excited for the show. Uh, I'm excited for more news about it. Well, I, I, you're right. I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. So, mm-mm-mm. So, Paul, yes, sir. Uh, you know, last time we talked about the Q conflict, we both enjoyed it rather a lot. And issue two came out of the Q conflict in which uh, the, the various teams go head to head for the first time. What'd you think, Paul? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't much care for it, huh? I didn't dislike it. I mean, it just it, it didn't knock my socks off. And, you know, the first issue didn't, like, knock my socks off. But it was an intriguing enough concept to continue for issue two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, having read issue two, uh, you know, it's still not like I, – I guess the story isn't told in such a way that I feel any kind of sense of urgency or anything around it. Right. Which I – you know, obviously, I know these characters all make it out of it because they're plucked out of different points in time. But, you know, it's just, uh, you know – it's a fun story, but it's certainly not a, I don't find it riveting storytelling, but what did you feel about it? You know, I agree. It's, it's a fun book. It's not an important book, right? I mean, it's not, it's not anything that's going to reveal new things about these characters. It's not anything that's going to put our characters at significant risk. You know, that the characters are going to come out just fine on the other side. 
But still, it's fun seeing characters that have never interacted with one another do so and have to follow the orders of a captain that they've never worked for before, uh, which yeah. I think is kind of fun. In fact, you know, there's a page where they detail the team and there's four rows of the teams. Mm-hmm. And I, I spent the whole time just I, – I spent – God, I must have spent five minutes on this page just looking over each one and then thinking, wow, uh, I could use uh, – you know any number of these as an avatar on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like they're they're little, uh, you know, they're like little thumbnail graphics uh-huh. or drawings, I should say, of each individual character, and it's just funny. Like it's you know, it's got all these, it's all on one page, just little thumbnail yeah. graphics, and it's like I wonder who was chosen last. You know, it's kind of like the kids at the playground choosing right. who's going to be on their team, and it's like I wonder who was last. It was uh, Quark. Ah, oh, wasn't oh, Quark the last one? You could be right. Yeah. But, you know, I was, it was funny is that I feel like all of the characters on that page, there's 28 little squares listing, you know, all of the images of these characters that are in the four, four groups of seven. And there's one that I'm like, who the hell is that? And I'm having to, like, by process of elimination, I'm like, oh, that's Counselor Troy. Because I'm like, I, straight up, I'm like, I have no idea who that is. Yeah. And well, to a certain extent, we talked about this in issue one, that I prefer the characters aren't like photo recreations, um, right. you know, but at the same time, I, I appreciate that there is a similarity that I can pick them out. Right. And yeah, they, I, I can, I can see your concern about that. A couple of those thumbnails. Yeah. But uh, what I did really enjoy about this book, number one, I, you know, key for me in any Star Trek comic book is how well the artist draws the ships that's, I mean, if you can't, you can't draw the Enterprise or you can't draw the Defiant or what have you, I'm out. You know, I, I just, it's, it's a real big deal for me. And the pencils by, uh, David Messina are just fantastic. Same with the colors by Alessandra, uh, uh, Alexakis, I believe is the name. Alexakis. Alexakis, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's an Akis instead of an Ekis. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I, I think that the book just comes alive, and I, I love the way not just the starships are drawn, but also the shuttles. You get a nice little representation of each one of the starship sh- excuse me, shuttles. And I, I just think it's a, a neat little book. I, I had fun. It's not, like I said, it's not a great book. Um, it's, you know, your, your characters aren't really put at significant risk. However, there is a wonderful scene in which one of the pa- panels that, uh, of the Iconians, you know, their, their first, their first quest, you know, their first competition is to steal a piece of, of, uh, Iconian technology. And of course the Iconians is, was this master race, long dead master race who had the ability to, walk through a doorway and show up anywhere else in the galaxy or the universe even. And so, you know, you've got all these, it looks like a floor to ceiling window and, you know, you can see into another world. Well, Kira's looking and a Cthulhu monster reaches out for her. Yeah. I, I kind of love that. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't get eaten by the Cthulhu monster, but, uh, you know, the Cthulhu monster, you know, reached out for her. Anyway, I dug this book and I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in for this series. Yeah, I'm in for the series. I think it's yeah. fun. It reads kind of like a fun bit of fan fiction, but you know, it it, it is enjoyable. There, it's not too, it's not too deep. It's not too, you know, it's not depressing. It's just a fun, uh, just a fun book. Yeah. It's well, fun. And, you know, and that's something I want to say about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. 
Not that it was fun. Well, no. actually, I will say it had a fun bit. Uh, you know, there were two. So this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery, in t- uh, titled Light and Shadow, has two s- kind of concurrent storylines going on. One features Captain Pike and Ash Tyler trapped in a, in a time anomaly that's jumping them through time and the Discovery's attempt to rescue them. Um, you know, and, and you've and you've got these two at odds characters who kind of grow to respect each other. And then the other one is Burnham venturing to Vulcan to find her brother Spock. And I will say, out of the two, even though the Spock thing was the the carrot that we've been waiting for for cheese. now, the cheese. cheese. Sorry, yes. the cheese that we've been waiting for for I guess this is the seventh episode. Um, I believe that's correct. Seven weeks. I enjoyed the uh, Tyler uh, Pike storyline uh, quite a bit more. I thought that was that was exciting and you know just kind of fun and adventurous and action packed. Whereas the the Spock one was you know I mean it's she found him. Spoilers. <laughs> Let's take it from the from the Pike Ash Tyler uh, story first. The two of them are you know have have not gotten on well since Ash Tyler got dropped on the ship a couple of episodes ago by section thirty one you know to be the, their liaison um Pike didn't trust him you know ash tyler as you know as he says in this episode killed one of one of their crewmen there on the discovery yeah um, you know, he says not folk ash Tyler yeah. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, you know, that was my shadow or that, you know, Pike says, you know, your shadow killed him. And, uh, you know, Ash Tyler says, you know, that's part of me. I I can't do anything about that. But they are, they are, you know, on this mission together to, to, uh, launch this probe into the time rift. And Captain Pike sees an image because, you know, they're seeing, because there's these waves of time distortion, they keep seeing images from the future or from the past or wherever. And so he sees an image from the future there in the shuttle of him pointing a phaser at Ash Tyler. Now, I, I put myself in that situation. Had I seen that, I would have reached over and just pistol whipped Ash Tyler. Yeah. I would have just knocked him out. I would have phaser stunned him and just called that done for the day. But, you know, this is why Captain Pike's a better captain than me. Because, you know, he sees it, raises an eyebrow, moves on, and he allows events to unfold. And the reason he turns out shooting a phaser in Ash Tyler's direction is the evil entity from the future that has commandeered their probe and now has uh, Cthulhu-like tentacles <laughs> reaching out into the ship has its uh, has its appendage wrapped around Ash Tyler. And, uh, you know, Pike shoots it off of him. So, you know, this is, you know, possibly one of those, one of those few circumstances where Captain Pike would make a better captain than me. Well, yeah, that's the reason that Captain <laughs> Pike is it. <laughs> no, I, you know, I thought I enjoyed that storyline quite a bit. It went exactly where I thought it would, that those two would leave mutually respecting each other and, you know, learning a lesson and that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I have very much enjoyed Captain Pike, and he's kind of taken a backseat these last two episodes for for other focuses. And so, having an episode with more Pike in it, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I will say, Ash Tyler, they're they're not trying hard to make that character likable, um, and and I wish they would try harder because you know he 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 basically comes on the bridge and he's like, "You need to tell me where Burnham is." Section thirty one, bitches. Yeah, you know, that's and that's like his, all he's well, been doing. And he tries to big dog him by flicking his Section Thirty One badge at him. Yeah, that kind of kind of cracked me up. And you know, and Pike's like, "Hey, chair outranks the badge, pal." <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, see again, 
I, I might not have kept it above the line where I am Pike situation <laughs> because I would have, I, I would have buried that thing in his skull. You know, don't go flicking your badge at me. Motherfucker, I'm the captain. That's right. That's right. I, I, I would, I would have gone off on him just like I would have gone off on, on Saru in the previous episode yep. when he started big dogging me there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, does no one respect Captain Pike in this show? You know, you, you, you got to put some bitches down when stuff like that happens. No joke. Your cruise doesn't respect you. It's, and next step is mutiny. Just saying, That's Pike. Right. That's right. But uh, no, I did enjoy that, 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 that side story I enjoyed. Um, I do think, I don't know. I don't want to complain because I'm being nitpicky, but it feels like, you know, the, hey, check with Stamets. He's been in the world. You know, he, he, he has the ability to do something like this. We, we, we keep seeing that. I feel like that's like the, uh, the go-to in every episode. Well, Um, I wanted them to explain to me why whatever Stamets was doing, wasn't going to hurt the mycelial network. Because, you know, we learned, what, two episodes ago, that when he spore drive jumps, it hurts the mycelial network. And I'd like to hear, because he was doing something with the mycelial network, you know, this time. Though he, I couldn't tell if he was getting in the chamber or not to figure stuff out. So I I just, I wanted that to be a little bit more clear on, on what he can do without hurting the mycelial network versus what he can do. Yeah. I just needed some clarity on that. But, you know, Paul, this was an episode that I watched twice. And I watched it twice because there are, there are a couple of things that, that happened in the episode where I'm like, oh, I need to see that again. So, you know, earlier on in the episode, Michael Burnham, you know, states that they found Spock's shuttle in the Mutara sector. And, of course, the Mutara sector is where Spock dies in Wrath of Khan. And so, you know, it kind of clued me in, okay, is this a time travel thing is you know is he did the red angel is the red angel spock from the future or or some other period in time is he revisiting certain places what's going on here but i think they just were throwing that out there i think that wasn't anything but boy it sure it sure did send my antenna up i mean i was like yeah what the hell I don't know that they're going to ever. I think it was uh, an Easter egg. I don't like uh, yeah. you said. I don't. I don't believe it was. Uh, you know, an explanation of something that we're going to. You know, that that ties to. You know, the the wrath of Khan. But you know, it, it was a fun little Easter egg. But what was not an Easter egg and is something no. they're following up on is uh, you know Spock has been. You know, we found out that Spock's dyslexic, and this is yet another thing that Spock and I have in common because uh, when I was a boy, I was mildly dyslexic. And I still reverse reverse uh, uh, words around. I was reading the newspaper the other day, and it was it was saying something about theaters, but I kept reading it as reading it as threatens. Oh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, Spock had uh, Vulcan dyslexia, which is you know almost unheard of on Vulcan, and was would have been wildly discriminated against for it if it had been known. But Amanda had concealed that. And so, you know, when uh, Michael Burnham finds Spock, who has been hidden by his mother, Amanda, um, he is doing a bunch of crazy talking. You know, he's reciting a bunch of the stuff that we're familiar from, uh, you know, Star Trek Four, where he's, you know, quoting all of the rules of logic, right? Um, you know, we also saw something similar in Star Trek 2009. Is that right? Yeah, 2009, yes. where, they, mm-hmm. where they showed us the, the young Spock of the Kelvin universe. You know, it's all that, you know, 
a squared plus b squared equals c squared stuff. You know, yeah. it's the it, you know even though they're not doing the Pythagorean theorem, you know what I'm talking about. It's all uh, a bunch of science stuff. Uh, correct. And uh, cor- no, you have to say correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we we hear him nattering on like that, and then you know he starts rambling a bunch of numbers and she puts it together when she finds out Michael Burnham puts it together when she finds out that Spock had been dyslexic and uh, you know, she's like, Oh, those numbers that he's citing are backwards. And of course she runs it through the computer, you know, find me a reference to this. I had been thinking throughout the episode that he was quoting a star date and I was trying to put it together as a star date and I couldn't do it. Uh, but he was actually providing coordinates, and the coordinates are to Talos Four, the planet that he and Captain Pike and Number One visit in the original series pilot, The Cage. Now mm-hmm. I went, now I went back, and because I wasn't, I couldn't remember where Discovery falls into the timeline for Star Trek overall, and it happens after The Cage. So the Captain Pike that we know and the Spock that we know and the number one that we know have all been to Talos IV, which begs the question, Paul, Talos IV is a forbidden planet. No one's allowed to go to Talos IV. It's one of the few things that the Federation still has a death penalty for, for violating that directive and going to Talos IV. So you would think that in her Federation shuttlecraft, when Michael Burnham orders in the coordinates and, you know, Talos Four pops up on the screen, you would think there'd be a warning. You'd think there'd be something to say, hey, FYI, Talos Four is planet forbidden. You can't go there. Nope. There's I, not. I, yeah. I just, I felt like that was missing. Yeah. No, that's a good point. You know, it hadn't occurred to me. You know, it, it's funny because it, I guess I had for some reason thought that discovery took place after the cage, but um, I, I appreciate yeah, Disco- the clarification. Yeah. But discovery does take place after the, cage. I mean, I'm sorry, before the cage, before the yeah. cage. And see, that was what I was struggling with. I couldn't remember. Cause I was like, is, so this would be the second time that Spock's been to Talos for, <laughs> would this be the first time? What, what? That's why I had to go back and take a look. And you know, if the reference material I was looking at is correct, it would have to be, I found it online. Um, Totally, totally reliable. Discovery happens after the cage. That the cage is still the earliest event in original series history. Enterprise takes place prior to it. Ah, okay. So. Oh, interesting. Okay. But, you know, overall, I liked the episode. Uh, I was glad that we finally found our missing cheese. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I am I am eager for this coming episode, number one, to see the Telosians. I've always loved those squishy-headed guys. Yeah. I've and they look always, pretty solid in this. Yeah. You know, the, the, the makeup effects are very nice on those. Yeah. I really like the squishy-headed guys. And uh, I'm, I'm eager. I, I wonder if we'll see Vina, right? You know, the... Yeah. The character from the cage, uh, who tries to seduce, uh, Pike. It will be really interesting. I, I'm super excited about this. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's their intent, right? Uh, I think there, there are a number of call outs, uh, that get the fans excited. I will say one thing about this episode, uh, that surprised me is, you know, I stopped it right after the up next on Discovery and it, it popped up, you know, the, the time that I was at on the show. Yeah. It was only a 39 minute episode. Right. Which was kind of surprising to me then, because it felt like a lot happened in the in in those thirty nine minutes, and it didn't need to be longer. I'm not saying it needed to be seven minutes longer, but um, you know, they're they're not putting themselves in a good place if they do want to air them on on broadcast television because thirty nine minutes 
you know, they'd have to pad that a little bit. Yeah. No, you're right. But a lot happened, you know, and, and you know, we, we had more Section 31 than ever before. And before we wrap up our conversation on the show, um, I do want to mention that the the revelation that uh, Giorgio put forth, which is that Section 31, or at least the captain of the vessel that, you know, I don't know what the character's name is off the top of my head. Um the, but the 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 guy that she reports to in section thirty one was yeah. responsible for Burnham's parents' death. So I I read into that that maybe he had intel that didn't stop the Klingon attack because it was Klingons who killed her parents. I yeah, mean, she witnessed that, right? Yeah. Um, but maybe he had intel or he had, you know, allowed, you know, maybe it was a, hey, we're going to send the Klingons against this planet to make X happen. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I have a hard time believing that he called a hit out on my. No, no, experience. no. I, she didn't say you killed them. She said right. you were responsible for. So I'm pretty sure it's, you know, going to be something like that. But, you know, she acts like Michael Burnham is, is an admiral in Starfleet. You know, she says, you don't want Michael to find that out. I'm like, if he's Section 31, he could just disappear her. Yeah. He could. I'm sure he <laughs> I mean, doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. This is a rat's ass, and I won't give you it for that. Yeah. Because uh, I, <laughs> I don't give a rat's ass. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's the one thing I thought was weird is why would he be scared of Michael Burnham? Yeah. Well, you know, maybe we'll find out. Yeah. Maybe. On the next Star Trek Discovery. And yeah. we'll talk about it on the next Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. That's right. And you can give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at Ideology Madness, IOM Geek on Instagram or Facebook. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, all those things. I mean, I'm sure you could do other things, but those are really best, the best are, ways to get in touch with us. And those are really the only things you should be doing. Yeah, you should, yeah, just unsubscribe from anything else on your feed. <laughs> also, remember, we need your five-star reviews. Get out there on the Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It would really help us out. We would much appreciate it. So much so that we might let give you a full, a free dial on the circuit and get you some some of those farm animals. <laughs> we we won't be doing that, but we'll get you no. something else. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble Wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays, no troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade.